Hey, Marty, I didn't get a chance to do a proper clean-up of the kitchen. Could you please empty the dishwasher, then stick everything that's in the sink in the dishwasher and turn it on? Hey, Yumi, what time do you want to go out and get those Vox Pops? Uh, how about after lunch? Yeah, cool. Cool. I have a leg of lamb ready for dinner, but you need to get it in the oven, so please turn it on at 12.30 to 160 degrees. Put the lamb in at 1 o'clock. Don't forget to see if we can get daycare this Friday. Also, did you call your dad about the holidays? Hi, Yumi speaking. Hi, it's Ryan, the plumber. Uh, I can come by and fix the toilet tomorrow. Oh, great. Yeah, but you need to be home between midday and four. Oh, okay. One more thing, can you be home for the plumber tomorrow afternoon? You'll have to get the parking permit to him. Hey, Yumi, what's the best way to get you this audio? Um, can you email them through? Yep, we'll do. Don't eat any junk food, please. Carla's coming over for dinner. I will also be making pudding. Thanks, honey. Kiss, kiss. Love you. Bye. Hey, are you ready to record this script? Yep, sure. Let's go. <clears throat> you know this scene, don't you? You're sorting out dinner, work, the trader, your partner, all at the same time. You are a human octopus juggling tasks. Why? Your partner, like mine, is great kind, obliging, helpful, but waits for you to tell him what to do. Where are my keys? What time's the babysitter coming? What's happening at Christmas? It's you who has the answers. If home were a company, you'd be the CEO. And this is not a little job. It's almost a full-time gig. And for lots of women, it sits alongside your actual paid job. All of this work is invisible, ongoing, exhausting. And it has a name. Ladies, we need to talk about the mental load. The mental load isn't new. It's basically the weight of all those lists we carry in our heads to help us remember what we need to do to make sure we don't get fired, that our bills get paid and that our people don't starve to death. Until recently, I didn't have a term to describe that burden. Then a few months ago, a French illustrator by the name of Emma published a cartoon on her blog and it went viral. We'll post a link to it on the ladies' website. You really need to see it. And I'll be honest with you, when I first saw this cartoon, my reaction was fury. I wanted to burn shit to the ground because this was so familiar, so common and so profoundly unfair. Tracy Spicer is a journalist and writer, an activist who tries to be a feminist in work and at home, and she also had a strong reaction to Emma's cartoon. It was an absolute light bulb moment for me. I saw it on Clementine Ford's Facebook page and I shared it with every woman that I knew and it went viral and there are swear words. And it happened at a time when I realised that my life with my wonderful husband who's 50-50 with the housework, 50-50 with the childcare, but it was just the little things. I'm always the one who organises school holiday care or who takes the time off to look after the kids or arranges everyone's Christmas presents or birthday presents in his extended family and my extended Mm -hmm. family. So after reading that, I decided to go on strike in the household. So he had to do it. It drove him berserk. He said, this is crazy. Mm. Such little school holiday care in Australia. I said, now you know my pain. (laughs) (laughs) Jenny, tell us about the mental load in your life. I think when I saw the cartoon, I was like, oh, no, now I've added that to my mental load because I'm (laughs) thinking about how often I think about the mental load. 
That's Jenny Leong. She's an MP in New South Wales Parliament and her daughter is a year old. I would say the biggest relief now, I'm only breastfeeding once a day, but the mental load of breastfeeding is insane because actually there are like physical ramifications if you don't remember to pump (laughs) or feed at the right times. And I was thinking about it going, wow, that's actually released my mental load a lot. Is that right? Because I was spending a lot of time sitting in meetings going, okay, now I've got five minutes between that meeting and that thing and there's going to be a vote in parliament at that time. Mm. I need to be able to take my top off, do my pumping. (laughs) There's all of this sort of backstory to what you're doing as a new mum that means that you're sort of functioning in your normal world plus thinking of all these extra things you need to do. Unfortunately, I have to say, Tracy, uh, a lot of my friends' children just never get birthday presents. That's just how it works. (laughs) I I do not have the capacity to fit that into my mental load and I feel very bad now because my daughter gets a lot, so I'm going to have to take that one up. Dr Leah Rapana is a sociology lecturer who researches domestic labour and this idea of mental load is her field of expertise. Um, I'm going to start and say something a little bit controversial. I'm going to say that everyone actually carries the mental load. Mm -hmm. So some portion of your mental load may go to thinking about your career, some portion of it may go to thinking about your family, and some portion of it may be going to thinking about your personal life. And the difference is the balance across men and women. So you could imagine men are spending a lot more of their mental load thinking about how do I advance my career, Mm. thinking about the day-to-day challenges of work. Mm. That is a very different mental load than who is going to pick up the child from daycare or who's going to organize the school holidays Mm. or who's doing the housework or why is the house a mess. Mm. Um, And one leads to an economic outcome, career mobility, and one is just unpaid. Unpaid sometimes recognized, sometimes not recognized labor. And I think that's really the difference. How do we shift the ratio? Leah, it definitely does sit more with women. Absolutely. Yeah, okay. So we're all in agreement about that. Absolutely. Yeah, 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 absolutely. The balance in terms of the unpaid, in terms of thinking about the domestic sphere, is disproportionately shouldered by women. Yes. Absolutely. It's the waking up and going, what are we going to have for dinner tonight? And someone has to answer that question and solve that problem every day. And in my home, it's me. It's never, ever my partner, ever. So that's my mental load every single day. But he does other things, like he uh, always does the rubbish bins and always changes the nappies. So if he's home, I don't touch a nappy, right? So is that a division of labour according to who's got the best uh, skill and experience or is it a little bit of a trick? Like, is he tricking me into thinking that's what it is (laughs) when it's so much harder to, you know, produce a meal every night? What do you think? It's a great question and then you worry about the role modelling with the children as Mm. well. As I said before, we do 50-50, but it's 50-50 very structured. Hubby does all the cleaning and I do all of the cooking. Mm. Subsequently, our daughter loves cooking and our son will take out the rubbish. And I looked at that and thought, am I just perpetuating gender stereotypes? (laughs) So, yeah, I think we really need to reassess that because there's a lot more mental load to do with cooking Mm. and shopping for the cooking than there is with the purely menial physical tasks of changing a nappy or taking out the rubbish. Leah, do you have a thought on that? Is it just playing to our strengths? Um, no, it's not playing to our strengths. A lot of the routine tasks tend to be done by women. These are things that you can't delay. These are things that require um, immediate attention, cooking, cleaning, um, doing the laundry. And a lot of the non-routine or episodic chores are typically done by men. These are things like taking out the rubbish, um, changing the light bulb, things that, you know, you don't really have to. You can leave the trash there for two or three days, but you can't leave the baby in a diaper, right? 
Once you get your head around this idea of the mental load, you start seeing it everywhere. In the lives of your friends, your colleagues, your mother, yourself. It was the same for Tracy. Well, we've had our kids at the same school for about six or seven years now, and I have not seen one parent representative who is a man. Now, they're the people who communicate, obviously, between the teachers and the parents. Yeah. It's a huge job and it gets bigger every year because of the goddamn yearbook or the dance <laughs> or the house dinner, you know. There's always something else, this ridiculous middle-class burden, you know, overburdening our children with stuff. And so last year I sent out an email saying, do you know what, it'd be great to have the class parent, an unpaid job, being one of the fathers mm. this year. And instead, three of the mothers came back, three of the working mothers, and said, don't worry, we'll do it together. We can share it between us with our paid work. But not one father came back on that group email to say, I will devote some of my time to it. And why would they? It's so unrewarding, isn't it? It is. It's the jobs. So women end up doing the jobs that men don't want to do. One question is, why don't, why do the mothers step in and all that the fathers step in? Everyone's <laughs> nodding here. Yes. And this is a question perhaps about gatekeeping. So what is the concern? Mm-hmm. Is the concern that if men actually do the job, they won't do as good of a job as the women would do? And if that is the issue, then we as women need to stop that. Yes. Because this is actually not arduous work. It's not intellectual work. It's just busy work. It's important work. It's relatively low-skilled work, and mm. it's it's time-consuming work. So why do we not let men step in? And that is a point where who cares if it's 50% or if it's different, you might actually find it's quite radically different in a beautiful way. I agree 100%. It goes back to that 1950s thing of the woman being the boss in the household mm. and the man being boss in paid work. And I know a lot of women who won't let their husbands participate enough when the children are babies because they think, oh gosh, they won't do it well enough, something mm. might happen to the baby. So there's an element of irrational fear there. But there's also an element of this is my realm. And particularly if they've given up paid work to do that. Mm. This is now my job. And they fear letting go of that. And then when the kids are older, they regret not letting go of that earlier because there's a learned helplessness that happens with a lot of men when they can't do that stuff early. Annabelle Crabb speaks about that very eloquently in her book, that then the men feel helpless with this stuff and don't want to participate ongoing. And that leads to this huge mental load. Yeah. Do you agree with that, Jenny? Absolutely. And I think A lot of it is about this idea of control and I think that's where it becomes into a place where I think it's probably more of a challenge with professional women that are used to being in control in other aspects of their lives and I think those of us that are in a privileged position to have been able to be managers, to have staff working for us, probably take those skill sets and try and put them into our personal lives to actually try and keep them under control and manage Mm. them and in that sense you can see very quickly that turning into what should be a sort of family interaction is a let's handle the logistics of it, what what does that look like? And I think the real challenge is actually to look at going, okay, how does gender play in this? And mm. how do those traditional roles play? I was very lucky and, and, you know, I consider it to be luck that my partner was able to access paid parental leave. So he was the primary carer for a significant amount of time. And in that case, he did take the mental load. And a lot of that was then there. The, the, what's interesting is once we're both back at work, where the default position falls back and the expectation of who's supposed to know those things falls to me. Mm. Then you feel like part of it is also, oh, am I being a bad feminist because of that? Because I think then adds in another level to it, to how much you should make a deal of this or not. I noticed the, the gender dynamic with my, you know, 
friends that are in same-sex relationships, they're both men, they fall quite comfortably into stereotyped gender roles without all, without all of the challenges and the dilemma that I would have if I fell into that kind of role. And so, I think that's an interesting thing mm, to look in What do you mean well. by, by stereotyped gender roles? So one does the homemaking stuff? And one does the finances. Mm. And, and, of course, that's not always the case, but I've had those discussions with friends where actually that's not a dilemma for them and it fits quite well. But for me, I'd feel very uncomfortable if it fell back into that because I feel like I'm being a bad feminist. Yeah, and being a bad example to your own children. Yeah, not a bad feminist as in like a bad radical feminist, but a bad <laughs> feminist as in a selling out the feminist not cause. Not a nasty woman. Not a nasty. I like being a nasty All of this got me thinking. If men are lying in bed at night thinking about their job and the next move they're going to make at work, and there, right beside him, is his partner thinking about what she's going to pack for school lunches tomorrow, whether the plumber can be trusted and what gift suits an eight-year-old, well, what impact does this have on her financially in the long term? In thinking about the long-term economic consequences, well, I'll hit on a couple of points. I Mm. think... One is a question about if you're, if you imagine you have like a certain amount of energy in your brain and your energy in your brain is being used up by this, you know, thinking about unpaid work, then what are you not thinking about and what are you not doing? And so a couple of things you may not be doing is you may not be thinking about paid labor. And as I mentioned earlier, like this is something that will have long-term consequences both on you as an individual, but then also on your family. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's also important to think about how this affects health. So is it disrupting sleep? The answer is yes. Women have um, more disrupted sleep than men. They tend to give children and family um, primacy in terms of sleep. So I think there's a question about why the ways in which women uh, shoulder the unpaid work and the mental load, both when they're awake and sleeping, and how that can affect long-term physical health. So I think it's important to think about the sandwich generation. Mm. You're going to have an aging population that is going to need care. There is not enough government resources to address the care. The care is going to fall on the family, and that means it's going to fall on women. So if we're talking about unpaid mental load, about little kids and housework, add in addition to this the unpaid mental load that's going to fall in terms of caring for elderly parents who are going to have increasing care demands. Mm -hmm. So this is not a problem that is going to get smaller. This is a problem that is going to get larger. So I think when I think about things, I would say to maybe young women, one, which I've already said, don't gate to keep anything. Um, the second thing is when you move in with your partner, don't play house unless you want that division of housework to continue mm-hmm. for the rest of your mm-hmm. marriage. So don't bring him breakfast in bed. Don't try to make the house perfect. Don't be cooking these gourmet meals unless you expect that division forever. Because what happens is once people marry, marry, women start doing more, men do less. And once they have babies, everybody's housework goes up, but the gap widens again. Mm. It's also important to break down those gender roles in front of our kids Mm -hmm. every day. Our house is a riot. I'm constantly getting on my soapbox and ranting and raving (laughs) about gender issues. Uh, And one that I've noticed recently is my daughter's 11, my son's 12, and our daughter has taken on too much mental load already at that Mm. young age. Let me give you an example. Mm. She's the one if, you know, someone's forgotten something in the house, she'll remember it. She'll know where the keys are. She'll know when we have to go shopping. So she's looked around her in society and realised she suffers from that whole perfectionism thing, that young woman perfectionism thing. I have to be able to do everything to make it in this world. And I don't know whether as a result of that or it happened before, our son's become quite lazy Mm. to the point where he said a while ago, oh, when I move out of home, I don't need to learn to cook because Grace will cook for me. 
oh. and my head exploded. <laughs> you can just imagine there was just cutlery flying everywhere. <laughs> so now we have two nights a week, one night where Taj cooks dinner and another night where Grace cooks dinner. Mm-hmm. So they are both capable of doing those things. And I want to continue that to put more mental load on him because he has already started relying upon her mm. as his carer and he's the eldest. So do we need to make a pledge to be less in the home? Yes. Okay, can I start? Can you guys join in if you think of something? Okay, so I, Yumi Steins, pledge to give less of a shit about how how the laundry is folded because it makes me crazy when it's all higgledy-piggledy, but it doesn't actually affect anything except how it looks on the shelf. So that's my pledge. Beautiful. Okay, Tracy. I, Tracy Spicer, pledge to stop cooking three-course frickin' meals for my family where fried halloumi is an entree and then something fancy on the plate because my daughter on her cooking night now insists on doing it even if we're up until 11 o'clock because she has to make a bloody apple pie. So I'm going to stop doing that. It's rubbish. I, Jenny Leong, pledge that I will no longer require when the toys are put back in the box to put all the little eggs back in their right container (laughs) and the little blocks back in their right bag because that really isn't what matters in the world and I'll use that time instead to uh, actually look at my daughter more and play with her. Yeah, beautiful. Leah? Um, I, Leah Elizabeth Rapanner, pledge to stop angrily cleaning on my own on Saturday morning (laughs) (laughs) while simultaneously shooting passive-aggressive looks at every other member of the family (laughs) in the living room. Not the angry clean. How will the house get clean if it doesn't have an angry clean? Oh, yeah, I love it. Hello? Uh, hi, it's Ryan, the plumber. I'm outside the house in a loading zone that there's nowhere to park. I tried to call your partner. He didn't answer. Yeah, he never answers. I'm just at work. Give me a sec. I'll sort it, Ryan. Marty, where are you? The plumber's outside the house. Oh, shit. Why didn't you remind me? Sorry, I'm at the shops. Do you need anything? We always need milk and bananas, but please just get your ass home. He's out front waiting. Okay, I'm on my way. Also, daycare asked this morning if the baby's had his booster shot. Yes, he has. Please get home. I need that toilet fixed. Yep. Ryan, he's on his way. He'll be there in five. Yeah, sure, but i got to go in 30 minutes. Okay, got it. Hey, babe, have you got my keys? No, are you locked out? You have to let the plumber in. Found them, sorry. Love you. Let me know if you need a hand with anything. When we talk about the mental load, we're talking about an unequal balance going on within relationships. But how does it work if you don't have a partner? What happens if it's completely and utterly yours to bear on your own? I wanted to meet someone who's taking it all on by herself, and I found Iman Joshi, a GP and solo parent to four children. She's basically one of the busiest women I've ever met, and I was very lucky she could squeeze me in between her last patient and getting on the train to pick up her kids. I've been on my own with the four children since 2011, so my children at the time were three months, 18 months, 
barely three and barely five. I have no family in Australia, so I was on my own. And obviously I had to switch from um, you know, obstetrics and gynecology to general practice. And so I had to do a whole lot of thinking because I had to be the person going out earning the money. I had to be the one solely responsible for the children. And I had to plan everything around managing our lives day in and day out. Um, so when I read that particular comic, it was really interesting because I hadn't thought about it in that sense. Um, but when I when I read that, I kind of thought, that's what I've been doing the last six years. I mean, I've probably been doing that even before then, when I was married. So when you no longer were married, yeah. did you find that your mental load lightened or became heavier? Look, it's really interesting when you ask that. So towards the end, my marriage was very difficult and it ended for lots of different reasons. So when the end finally came, I actually found it was a lot easier because I no longer had to spend time, energy and effort to then try and manage someone who in some ways had checked out of the marriage. So in that sense, I think it was easier because I stopped relying on another person to pick up the load. I stopped relying on somebody else to book the children in with the doctor or to go and get the milk or go and get the nappies or whatever it was because it was basically, I'm going to have to do all of it. So I think it really comes down to it was harder in some ways, but it was also easier because I stopped asking for something from somebody who may or may not have been willing to give anything. Um, and I think in that way, there was just no expectation. But it was harder because I don't have anyone to share the kids' achievements with. Mm -hmm. I don't have anyone who is as invested in the children as I am. I really, really miss that aspect of it. You know, just having somebody to sit down and watch TV with or someone to sit down and have a conversation with or a cup of tea or coffee with at the end of the day after the kids are in bed um, and know that, you know, this is somebody who's got my back just like I've got his back. Mm. Um, and that's something that I think in many ways, having been on my own for six years now, I've kind of had to let go of. Dr Iman, you're busy. You've got all these kids. You've got a, a busy GP practice. In order to cope with the mental load, have you found that you've let your standards slip on some things that don't matter as much? Yep. <laughs> really? <laughs> um, well, to tell you the truth, I haven't helped my kids with homework in six years. <laughs> I'm glad they're bright kids because they are. I do nothing at all to be involved at school in helping out with the PNC or whatever it's called. <laughs> I don't even know what it's called. That's how bad it is. I literally just, you know, pick them up, drop them off, and that's all I've done for the last six years. Um, you know, I don't iron clothes. I don't buy anything that needs ironing. <laughs> I used to cook things from scratch. I used to make jam. Can you believe that? And bread from scratch. I was one of those crazy people. No, nah, not anymore. <laughs> no way. No way. You just got to let some things go because I was finding it was impacting my sanity. Yeah, I bet. And I just thought I'm either going to kill a kid or <laughs> I'm going to have a filthy house. So <laughs> it was a bit of a no-brainer. Have your kids picked up additional responsibilities to sort of help? To help? Mm. Look, it's only in the last year that they're actually starting to do that. They make their own lunches. Um, you know, every Friday when we get home from school, they collect all their, their dirty uniforms, their underwear, their socks, and they put that on. They call that the uniform wash, and then they hang that up and they put that all back in the cupboard. Wow. And they've been doing that for a couple of years now. That's life-changing. I know. <laughs> what happens when you get sick? Yeah, I don't really have time to get sick um, just because you just have to keep going. Do you see a light at the end of the tunnel? I do now. Really? Because <laughs> the kids are older? Yeah, I... I think there was definitely a shift when my youngest started um, kindergarten. Um, and just the fact that they get older, they're sleeping in their own beds more often, you know, there's no more nappies. 
There's not as many tantrums. Um, and I just really like the fact that I can have conversations with them. And like the other ladies, I asked Iman to make a pledge. I, Iman Joshi, pledge to allow my children to have a shower only twice a week. <laughs> if that's what they want to do. Because I don't care. <laughs> and they haven't gone through puberty, so they're not that stinky, so it doesn't really matter. And if their friends complain, then they'll shower more often. So it's a win-win-win. I love these pledges and if you do too we've got a bunch more that we put together as a bonus episode it's inspiring and beautiful to get it go to the ABC Listen app and please dig around inside your own mental load and see if there's a pledge that you can maybe make for yourself today right now I mean, I don't want to pressure you or add to your mental load by asking you to do this, but if you can, make a pledge, then email it to us via ladies at abc.net.au. Before I go, can I please introduce Sarah McVeigh? You've probably heard her voice on Triple J, and she's just made this fantastic new podcast called How Do You Sleep at Night? Thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Yumi. Now, I've listened to a few eps, and I was blown away by the one where, you know, in Afghanistan, journalists embed with the army. Yeah. Were you embed with pro-life activists? I do, yeah. They're called the helpers of God's precious infants, and you, you might have seen them protesting outside abortion clinics. They're actually banned in Victoria and Tasmania from being, you know, directly within the vicinity of the clinic. Mm. But in New South Wales, they're still there. And they cop a huge amount of hate. They live their life in the face of judgment. And that's exactly what this podcast is about, what it's like to live in the face of judgment. And so, as you say, I embedded (laughs) with them. I saw how they live. I saw the treatment that they cop. And it was really, really interesting. Some people you know, stop and discuss things with them. Some people abuse them. Some people just want to let them know gently that they strongly disagree. I can see where you're coming from, but I think that you're entirely delusional in your belief. There you go. Did you get all that? (laughs) Thanks, Tim. He's a a reasonable guy and I think we could talk. I've actually said to him, we'll have a coffee. You said you're delusional. Yeah, I know. I've said we'll have a coffee. Delusional is not the worst thing the helpers have been called. So, you know, any opportunity to uh, have a conversation, have a coffee and try and spread their message. They sure believe in it, don't they? Absolutely. And I think that you are inoculated from other people's judgment when you're guided by a really strong faith in what it is that you're doing. Mm. Really, really interesting podcast. It's called How Do You Sleep at Night? And you should go to the ABC Listen app right now and search for it. It's the only place where you can binge listen, isn't it? You can get all the podcast episodes right now. All in one go. Otherwise, you can listen to them weekly wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, thanks heaps, Sarah. Thanks, Yumi. I'm Yumi Steins. Thanks heaps for listening. We'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.